This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. everybody thanks for listening to goat talk with the goat doc sorry for a like like four or five month uh, podcast hiatus i am on the road this morning and um i was just going through my recorder which has like had like 50 to 60 recordings on it and I was like did I post that what's that about I don't even know what this is um and trying to delete things um and then I was like going back and listening because I have an episode about uh today's episode is going to be about coccidia and uh other this might turn into a two-parter where I have like another little kind of more mini podcast about other enteric protozoans um that you can see sometimes they come up on a fecal float and do you need to care about them? Um, so I was listening to that and I realized that I know it's like sometimes, you know, obviously I'm in my truck and obviously I have like, I think I've shared on the internet, uh, my little, uh, Sony voice memo recorder that I've had since like 2008, uh, when I was doing my vet school prerequisites at the university of Southern Maine. Um, and yeah, anyway, that's a story for another time. But uh, this is what I've always used to record my podcast. And I'm sure sometimes you've noticed that, like, you hear the, like, little, like, my cell phone talking in the background, which is, I find annoying. And I'm sure you find annoying. Uh, but this, as I was listening to the first recording of this episode that I did, the little like cell phone talking just went on for a really long time and it was just super annoying and distracting to me. So I'm going to try to record again, um, because I don't think there's really a way to get rid of that without like me learning a whole bunch more audio editing than I care to learn. So it's also been like probably at least a month since I recorded that podcast and I don't know, I know like content is content and a lot of this content that I make is fairly, um, not time sensitive. Um, but I don't know. I always feel weird when I post something that's like a whole bunch of months old, but anyway, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for, uh, tolerating my hiatus. Yes, I'm still here. Yes, I'm still alive. Yes, life is still insane. Um, I'll, we'll, we'll share more about the farm stuff. Uh, we're trying to get our YouTube channel going. There's a few videos posted on there. I have so much video stuff that uh, I need to edit and uh, get out there because I'm trying to find a balance in my life to like share about the farm and stuff like that. Um, but I just need an army of clones to help me do all the things that I want to do and like a hive mind so we can all telepathically communicate. So if anybody's got a good solution for that, let me know. Um, but we're going to try to talk about coccidia without the cell phone chatter in the background. And I put my phone on like airplane mode, but apparently my, it can still tell me how to get where I'm going. So this seems like it's going to work. I hope it's going to work. Um, and yeah, 
Thank you again for listening. And uh, if you want to reach out and say hi, you can find me on the internets at goatdoc.com. You can email me at goatdoccara, G-O-A-T-D-O-C-C-A-R-A at gmail.com. Um, you can find me on the Instagram at goat underscore doc and uh, the Twitter is at goat doc Kara, which mostly just like picks up the stuff from the Instagram and posts it on the Twitter if you like the Twitter better. Don't really do the Facebook very much. Um, so, meh. And, um... Yeah, if you would like to support the podcast and uh, spread the word, the best way to do that is to tell your goat-loving friends that there's a goat podcast that you like, and uh, also to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player app of choice. Um, That helps the internet, artificial intelligence, podcast recommending algorithm uh, know that people are listening to the podcast and what they think about it. And then it figures out like other people who like the same things that you like might also like this. As I have such a love hate relationship with the algorithm. I'm sure I've talked about it before. And I like how it's, I kind of like how it's just like a thing now. It's like the algorithm. I'm sure there's more than one, but I like how we can like collectively refer to it as the algorithm. Um, I think that I really feel like I'm forgetting some housekeeping stuff here because I'm definitely out of practice in podcasting. I'm really trying to get back on the podcasting bandwagon. I have intentions of tackling some big topics this year. Um, the big, uh, small ruminant wasting diseases, um, and also I personally want to do like for myself and for my herd, I need to do like a deep dive in nutrition. Um, and I've got some like CE resources lined up to do that. And then I want to like share it with you guys. Cause for me, it's like that when I was an assistant before going to vet school, I learned the thing of like, see one, do one, teach one. And I personally think that when you're teaching something is when you really like solidify it in your mind, when you have to explain it and uh, teach it to somebody else. So, uh, if I teach about nutrition, I have to learn it better and it helps me learn it better. So selfish motivations, but you will benefit as well. Um, it might be kind of intense. We'll see how it goes. Um, so that should be coming at you in the coming months. We're about to start kidding at my place. Um, we got like a week to go, I think. And we have about 40 does to kid this spring. If you're kidding already, which I think most people are, uh, I hope it's going well. And yeah, I think I'll get into talking about Coccidia now. Um, This podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet. And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR, veterinary and client-patient relationship, with your local vet. Coccidia is one of the things that uh, is kind of ubiquitous in the small ruminant-keeping sphere um you're you're it's there and you're not going to get rid of it it's kind of the short uh the short version of that um and I kind of like it's one of the things that I you know 
I guess when when you do what I do, when you raise goats, and when you are a vet that deals with goats, um, you get a place of like this is just kind of like in my uh, knowledge bank, the general stuff that I need to know on a day to day basis, and then I have to kind of go back and be like, oh, but what are the specific things about? Um, enteric protozoans like what are what are the real specific things as far as the science um and then and then it's like what are the like boots on the ground things that you actually have to you know care about in order to treat be be aware of and uh like know when to treat and what to treat with and those kinds of things so coccidia enteric protozoans enteric protozoans um just means like enteric means inside the guts um and protozoans is like the kingdom phylum i think if we're talking about uh like classification of organisms um protozoans is like this big overarching uh classification of single-celled organisms that are more complicated than um bacteria because they're they're still one cell they are not made up of multiple cells but they have like organelles and they tend to be a little bit bigger and there's definitely more like um anatomical variation just in like their appearance so protozoans include things like amoebas and giardia and coccidia and a whole bunch of other stuff um but if i feel like people know what amoebas are fairly well um because i don't know why it's a fun word to say and also like if i say amoeba you probably get this picture in your mind of this like amorphous um kind of like globby thing that moves around by globbing around um and uh yeah amoeba is a type of protozoan and then there's giardia which and it's like infective uh tropozoite i think that's how it was the word um stage has like a little swimmy tail and it swims around and uh coccidia also has um like multiple different uh, life stages where it looks different but uh yeah anyway so those are all protozoans they are single-celled organisms that are more complex than bacteria but still uh still very small and only made of one cell that's them um let me see i'm going to cheat and go back to my notes here um because i want to make sure i don't tell you the wrong things um Oh, I guess it must be the kingdom because I went back to my... So the kingdom must be protozoans. And then the phylum that we are going to look at for um, coccidia is called ampicomplexa. So ampicomplexins would be the things that are in that. And coccidia that we care about for... um, goats in particular tends to be mostly imeria is the genus um and i can't remember the species because there's i think there's a few different ones um coccidia is everywhere it's in the environment i can tell you with like a high degree of certainty that your goats very 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 probably have coccidia and then we're going to talk a lot about like how much do you care um because mostly in animals that look good and are maintaining their weight and are not having diarrhea, if I see coccidia on their fecal, I do not care. Um, 
because it's out there. Uh, and it's part of the, like, complex, uh, like biome of the rumen and we've talked in the past about the rumen and how um like much how many different organisms are in there and there's a whole milieu of protozoans and bacteria that work together to break down the uh plant material the cellulose that like we as humans uh with monogastric humans and dogs and cats and anything with one stomach can't really break that stuff down uh because we don't have that rumen full of bugs that's taking care of the stuff and making it into usable energy for us so protozoans are an important part of that biome inside of our ruminants and uh protozoans like you get you got them and like in general you want them coccidia can be a problem um, and we'll talk about why right now because we'll talk about the life cycle and what is actually happening in the life cycle to uh to cause that problem so coccidia have like um What you see, if you ever have done fecal floats on your goats, is generally what you see is what's called the insisted stage or assist stage of coccidia. And they're pretty easy to recognize once you know what you're you're looking for. And they look kind of like a fried egg. Um, They're a small ovoid uh, cyst that really is quite like egg-shaped with a like tapered end and uh, mostly you see like a a center that looks like the egg yolk Um, so it really looks like if you cut a a hard-boiled egg in half um, lengthwise the size or not the size (laughs) but the shape of it with the yolk Um, sometimes that yolk part of it can look a little bit different sometimes it's very like solid and uniform and sometimes it looks a little bit more like there's different uh there's like littler structures in it and that is the sporulated and unsporulated uh version of that center and that's where like the little uh imeria coccidia organisms are dividing and developing and then they come out so that change from the uh like solid egg yolk to like the egg yolk that looks maybe kind of like irregular maybe a little lumpy bumpy that actually happens in the environment um so that just means that it's further along in its development and it's going to make these little uh swimmy guys that then are actually the infective stage um and they come out uh in the intestines Um, that maturation happens in the environment and they can be picked up by goats who put their mouths on everything as they do and then the little swimmy guys uh, come out in the intestines and that's what directly infects the intestinal cells uh, uh, the intestinal lining and causes problems there's like definitely a word for what that stage of the uh, little swimmy 
uh, Coxidia life stages and I totally can't remember it right now. It doesn't really matter too much um, clinically. Uh, like by clinically, I mean in like the day-to-day life. It doesn't really matter too much to me um, what that's called because I'm not like a parasitologist in the uh, lab working on this stuff. It doesn't matter to me to be specific about it. Um, but what happens there is then, so they're picked up in, uh, by goats putting their mouths on everything. They get down to the intestines and then those little swimmy part, that little swimmy life stage. I, I feel very unprofessional saying the little swimmy life stage, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, goes directly into those intestinal lining cells. So just a little quick, brief, uh, anatomy detour. The intestines are, and actually most of the, the, the entire GI pretty much has, um, like three layers and, the it, it, and it's a tube basically like if you think about the the gastrointestinal system it's a tube going from the mouth to the anus and the entire lining of the stomach and intestines has three basic layers um, from the inside to the outside is the mucosal surface so the mucosa um, and then the submucosa and then the muscularis so those oh my god i'm sorry the road is very bumpy here Um, if i sound like i'm vibrating uh the mucosal surface it has mucus on it and mucus is produced by uh certain cells that line the intestines um, because mucus is very protective for the rest of the body. The mucus um, catches stuff that potentially could be dangerous for the body, um, like bacteria. The whole intestines are full of bacteria, right? Like poop is full of bacteria and the rumen is full of bacteria and you got, but the bacteria cannot be in the body in place like you can't have bacteria hanging out with your kidneys um that's a problem you can't have bacteria hanging out with your lungs that's a problem so we have this uh anatomical system to protect the body from gastrointestinal organisms um and the mucosal surface is an important part of that so there's literally mucus and then there's this epithelium um which i'm sure i've said at some point epithelial cells are cells that line things uh so you have what's called enterocytes um and those are the cells that line the intestines um and then you have like the submucosa and then you have the muscularis and the muscularis is the layer that uh like squeezes it's a smooth muscle layer um so you don't like you don't have to think about your intestines contracting they just do that on their own um so that's the muscularis layer doing that but anyway back to uh just talking about that so if i say enterocytes you have an idea of what i'm talking about the little swimmy uh, coccidia life stage gets in there and penetrates through those uh, protective surfaces, especially in goat kids, especially in young goat kids, um, because their immune system is not really like well equipped to deal with the coccidia at this point because they're young and their immune system is still developing. Um, going to talk about the life cycle and then circle back to that immune system thing the uh so the 
those little swimming guys get in there, they go right into those enterocytes, and then they develop in those enterocytes into their next life stage. Um, and then they burst right out of there, and the bursting of the cell is what is going to cause clinical disease. Um, and then the, that next life stage is out in there, and it goes along to the next enterocyte. And it's like, sweet, we're going to go in here, and then we're going to multiply and develop in here, and then we're going to do it again. That does that a couple of times. And every time it does this, there's more of them, and they're, like, you know, like, just rapidly increasing their numbers. And this is one of the reasons why it's a problem, because every time they come out and there's more of them, um, they're causing more destruction. Every time that, like, little... Uh, coccidia guy goes into a cell and then does its thing and then busts out there's cell destruction and cell destruction is what causes the clinical disease um, and then at some point they like make this uh, insisted stage which is the fried egg and that's what comes out in poop so that's what you see when you look on a fecal float and then do, do I care about seeing these on a fecal float as I already said in a healthy, like, good body condition, eating well, nice healthy rumen, uh, normal poops, not having diarrhea. Do I care that there's coccidia in there? No. Not really. Um, that animal's maintaining its weight, it's doing fine, it feels fine. Don't care. Um, I am never gonna look for a negative fecal without coccidia on a, uh, clinically healthy animal. There's got to be something else going on if um, I'm worried about it, basically. So if I have an animal that's a poor doer or it's sick from something else and all these things, like, then do I worry about coccidia? Maybe. Um, but in general, um, I don't get excited about coccidia on a fecal float of a normal, healthy adult's goat. Um, and even like a younger healthy adult, uh, a younger healthy goat with normal poops and it's growing fine and it looks good and it's happy and bouncy and being obnoxious, I don't worry about coccidia. So, um, to go back to that immunology thing, uh, why can I, why can I not worry about that? Because once that animal has um, developed its immune system, part of that healthy uh, competent immune system is protecting the body against coccidia. And how does the body protect against coccidia? The same way it protects against all the other things. Uh, there's antibodies that the uh, white cells develop, uh, and then what do antibodies do? They see that they like recognize the coccidia and they stick to it uh, and make it uh, not able to do what it wants to do, which is get into cells and destroy them. And then there's things like eosinophils, which are this uh, branch of white blood cells that kind of tend to work against uh, parasites, internal parasites, external parasites, um, because they do think they have little granules in them that have like histamine in them, and then they can use the histamine to uh, prevent those organisms from doing what they're doing. So whether it's, uh, like a cat with fleas or it's a, uh, a goat with coccidia, the eosinophils tend to be like out there and, uh, doing 
like using their weapons against uh, internal parasites. So those are those are kind of the big things. And if the immune system is competent and has adequate antibodies and adequate eosinophils and those kinds of things, then it should be able to keep uh, the population of coccidia pretty well under control. And uh, yeah, that's that's the story there. Um, and that's why coccidia tends to be a problem in younger animals because they haven't had the time to develop that immune system. And unfortunately, how are they going to develop that immune system is that they have to be exposed to coccidia. Um, and they are going to be exposed to coccidia. And how, like, because it's out there, it's in the environment, coccidia is inevitable. They're going to get it. Um, and whether they get sick or not is, is the question. So immune system, you know, young goat kids, they do not have a fully developed immune system, um, which is why, you know, colostrum is important, um, passive transfer, all of that stuff. That's why that's important, because without it, you're going to have a problem. Um, it takes some time for the immune system to determine what is self and what is not self and you know what do I have to protect myself from in order to stay alive that takes time you know probably typically like four to six months to get somewhere where the immune system is moderately useful uh and then the second thing is just going to be a numbers game so coccidia is in the environment I'm going to sound like a broken record. It's out there. Um, if there's just a couple around and a goat kid picks up a couple, okay, that's all right. Then, you know, maybe there's, you know, a, a few hundred that the, that goat kid has to deal with. And that's probably like the ideal situation uh, because then the immune system is like, hey, what's that? I don't like that. And then it develops antibodies. It develops memory cells, develops all the things that it needs to combat that uh, pathogen and defeat it before it can wreak havoc. So what what is the thing that is that largely determines that numbers game? And this is what people don't like because it means more work. Um, and it is environmental management and uh, keeping them clean and infrastructure and time and money and shoveling and clean bedding and all of these things. You got to keep your environment clean. So you can't have wet bedding. You got to have nice clean dry bedding. Um, you got to keep your animals, your kids especially kind of grouped by age is super helpful. Um, and like those would be the big things like uh, and you know sometimes it's it's harder than other times like and it depends where you live too so me you know New England Maine depending on what kind of season we have I may or may not have more of a problem with coccidia if the kids are the right age and we have a hot and humid spell where you know everything's wet and gross and it's the jungle and it's 90 degrees and 98% humidity that is an ideal environment for those coccidia to multiply in the GI get pooped out onto the ground and then that warm moist environment is like sweet we can turn into our infective stage super super fast and then we can get picked up in these little goat kids mouths and then you know it's a numbers game I can't I, there's probably numbers like actual numbers somewhere but it's like you know 
the the exponential increase of numbers of organisms in a very short time period and that's what happens where you know just a few intestinal cells bursting open of these uh, organisms you know the body can handle that that's what the intestines are made to heal from ridiculous things I feel that more now than ever after the number of foreign body surgeries I've done on dogs dogs and cats in the last two years. Um, But, you know, they can't, it's, they can only keep up with so much damage so fast. And then you gotta, like, they they need to recover. So, environmental management is huge. If you, if you are... If you are keeping goat kids at high stocking density in warm and wet areas, like, no matter what you do, you're always going to be fighting a battle of coccidia. And people don't like that because people want to give a pill and be done with it. People want to have the easy fix of doing something and being done with it. And that's just not the reality of the situation. Which is why there are some things that I don't like that I hear about people doing and I I do not condone um, as far as best practice for managing these things. Um, I honestly did not look up. I think everything... I don't know that we actually have a labeled product uh, as a coccidia stat for goats. So that's kind of annoying, but, you know, we're goat people, and if you have raised goats for any period of time and had to treat them for any kind of disease, you will know that your options for things that are actually labeled for goats are very, very limited. Um, so, you know, not not a, not new news. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of old news and just the way it is. Uh, um, but there are some things that uh, I prefer... Uh, over others because of their mechanisms of action and then there are some things that are just flat out illegal in the United States for any ruminant species and you know come in through questionable sources and uh, I do not condone their use um, because it's illegal and you know it's it's sometimes that whole like what's illegal and what's legal for drug use in certain countries compared to other countries is it seems kind of arbitrary and frustrating right like well this has been used in australia and new zealand for sheep and sheep definitely maybe goats definitely calves for like this period of time and new zealand in particular the dairy industry is quite good um so why do we not get it in the united states because of the fda and goats are minor species in this country so you know sometimes we're just a little bit out of luck um but having said all that uh options for treating coccidiosis when you have a problem so again i prevention of coccidiosis in my opinion is largely environmental management. Managing your stocking density numbers, keeping your kids nice and clean and dry with lots of fresh bedding, um, clean feed, feet up off the ground, keeping their buckets clean when they put their little poopy feet in them, um, and all of that stuff. Minimizing fecal oral transmission. They're going to get it. You want them to get low numbers and slowly so that their immune system can mount a response. That's prevention. Coccidia prevention is not putting them on some kind of medication for the whole, like, first four to six months of their lives. Um, 
Yeah. So what are your what are your options? You got Amprolium, uh, which is Corid, or there's a, Amprol maybe is another trade name. Amprolium is a uh, vitamin B thiamine analog, uh, if I remember correctly. And what it does is it fakes out the coccidia who need thiamine. Um, in order to uh, produce energy and uh, I think that's part of like the folate cycle or something like that from PCHEM. I'm, I'm associating those two things together in my brain for some reason. Maybe I will go look them up and come back to this. Um, but basically it's a molecule that looks like thiamine but isn't. So it inhibits that uh, biochemical like cycle there and then the uh, anything that needs thiamine uh, will kind of crap out because it's not actually getting it it's getting a fakie instead and that happens That can that happen for ruminants? Yes because then we get uh, goat polio, polio encephalomalacia which is the thiamine deficiency and that's a whole nother conversation. But having said that, uh, coccidia, single-celled organism, has like has a like less capacity for uh, lower amount for like for that thiamine to be inhibited. Um, you know, the coccidia are the single-celled organisms. They're microscopic. They're super, super small. They're way many, 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 many times smaller than a goat kid. And so they can just physically have a lot less thiamine around. And then also, like, the, um, you know, so the, if it's inhibited, then that's a, a, a problem way faster for a single-celled organism than it is for a goat kid. Also, um, goat kids are pre-ruminants, so they are not dependent on their microorganisms for thiamine yet. They should be getting a good bulk of it from, like, directly from milk and ingestion, if I recall correctly. Um, so not so much of a problem. Um, so amprolium is an option. Uh, typically, it is a water additive. Um, you can give it as a drench uh, for, like, single or, you know, I've got a couple animals that need to be treated. You can absolutely give it as a drench. If you have large groups of animals, you can give it as a water treatment for five consecutive days. And that's often the easiest way to do it. If you have, in my opinion, if you have a group of animals and you've got, you know, 30% or more of them that you know, are breaking with diarrhea, they're the right age goat kids, it's been hot and wet, you should just treat them all because they're all going to have a problem. It's very likely. Um, we had our kids out in the field this summer. This summer was super, super wet and there were times when it was just so wet and so murky and I was just like, we're not going to get ahead of this, we need to treat them all. And there was, you know, out of 25 kids in a group, there was maybe five or six that were actually clinical, but it's just like, nope, just treat them. Um, so amprolium is kind of what I reach for first. I got to be honest. Um, and it, it, you know, they go, animals got to drink water. So then you have, uh, decoquinate, uh, which is like a trade name is decox, um, which is another coccidia stat. It is a, uh, protozole mitochondrial, uh, inhibitor of the electron transport chain. 
And that is a whole bunch of biochemistry right there. Um, <laughs> so uh, mitochondria, if you remember, I vaguely remember like the first time I was learning about mitochondria, I was probably in like third or fourth grade. And uh, we made cells in little plastic bags with jello and berries. And also around that time, I was reading um, A Wrinkle in Time and A Wind in the Door and those Madeline Lingle delightful children's books that I love. Um, and in The Wind in the Door in particular, Charles Wallace um, is learning about mitochondria. So that was, um, you know, something that my little brain reached across my from school and science to science fiction writing. <laughs> um, but anyway, mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell. The mitochondria are where the electrons are transported down the uh, cell membrane to oxygen um, to create energy, to create ATP, um, which provides energy for cells to do all the things. That's, I don't, I don't really know that you technically need to know that, um, but biochemistry is kind of fun when you don't have to have a test next week. Um, the so what does, if the mitochondrial electron transport chain is inhibited, then uh, whatever is using that electron transport chain is not going to get the energy it needs, and it's going to crap out and die. Um, so that's how that works. Um, decoquinate decox is a, often a feed additive um, in like pelleted goat feeds. So if you have something that has, you know, says medicated, um, you gotta watch out with these feeds that say medicated. It's like, okay, so what is it medicated with? Like, what are you, why, what are you doing? Um, and one of the common things for things to say medicated is decoquinate and it's a coccidiostat. Um, and primarily, you know, in, in like in real life, like primarily used to target coccidia, but not specific for coccidia. So absolutely, if it's going to inhibit protozoal mitochondria, that absolutely can mean all kinds of protozoal mitochondria, not just coccidia. So that is something to bear in mind. Um, and so we've got amprolium, thiamine analog. We have uh, decoquinate, which is... Uh, electron transport chain inhibitor two different mechanisms so if you have a really bad problem these are both these are both things that i have used together when having a really bad problem um and it's going to slow things down more quickly um some people are like oh well you can't i i use this and it doesn't work um and i don't know i've yet to run into that in my life because um, then people want to get into the other the other things that they uh, think they want to use for uh, a coccidia stat. Um, what is the next thing that is like kind of not the new illegal thing yet is uh, sulfa drugs. So uh, sulfas are antibiotics. Uh, sulfonamides. Sulfonamides. I googled real quick and I was right. Um, sulfonamides are an antibiotic. Um, and this is where I, I was getting mixed up with uh, amprolium and sulfas because uh, sulfas inhibit, 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 inhibit the folate uh, synthesis, which is another thing. And like the whole, I think like a, a little aside on the Krebs cycle or something like that. I can't remember. Doesn't matter too, too much in real life, um, except if you want to sound smart and it uh, is needed for energy. So it's another thing that uh, kind of 
you know, craps things out by inhibiting their ability to make energy. Um, sulfas are labeled for coccidia treatment in bovines. Um, and, but they are not the first thing I reach for because they are even less specific, uh, in terms of what they work on because they are antibiotics as well. You know, they're not specifically antiprotozoal. They also, um, affect bacteria. So not only are you in a place where you are crapping out your protozoans, uh, you are in a place where you are crapping out your protozoans and your bacteria and, you know, causing an issue for um, all of that very, very important rumen microbiome. Okay, so then we're going to come to a couple of, um, a couple more coccidia treating options, um, which are maybe like newer to the game. Um, one is, I might not say it right, uh, lacelosid, lacelosid, um, is a, is a newer, um, newer coccidia stat um, that is called an ionophore, um, and an ionophore is uh, basically what it does is punches holes in cell membranes. Um, so this can work, like, I didn't talk about this yet, I probably should have talked about this at the beginning, but uh, there are two different kinds, like, classifications of antimicrobial drugs that we talk about when we're talking about antibiotics or antiprotozoal medications, and one is, um, like I've said, coccidia stat multiple times and then there would also be like coccidiocidal and so then there would also be for antibiotics there would be like bacteriostatic um antibiotics and then there would also be bacteriocidal so static or cidal they're two different kind of suffixes for those kinds of drugs and they um can like what the the difference is kind of you know it's kind of nice to know just so you know what you're talking about and like how they're going to work static means that they stop the replication of those uh organisms so through what they don't actively kill the ones that are there but they prevent them from reproducing so we've talked about like the numbers the exponential uh growth and numbers of coccidia which is a very real thing if you can prevent that from happening uh with a with a static drug uh then great um but you're not you just gotta like be aware that you're not going to actively kill the ones that are already there that would be a cidal drug so an ionophore is more of a cidal drug because it punches holes in things um, that important outer cell membrane for the uh, single-celled protozoan organism. Be basically, like if a if a human could have an ionophore, it'd be like putting a big old hole right through your skin and like into your guts. So obviously, that's not compatible with life. Um, and that's what uh, lacelosid is. Um, I think the trade name is Bovitec. Um, I have had some clients in the more recent uh, couple of years ask me about it, and it seems to be a thing that uh, people are interested in because we want to have that nice, easy fix for coccidia. Um, 
but uh, it is not approved for goats in the United States. I did contact Farrah about it at one point, um, and there is a concern. There is a concern for it um, for safety uh, margins in goats. Uh, I I didn't look this up. Sorry. So I contacted Farrah about this one one time, and they you know did reiterate the safety concerns about it. Like potentially could be problematic if you you can like overdose a kid on this, um, and it could be a problem. Um, but as far as they did give me like a reasonable, uh, meat and milk withholding time for this product. Maybe this will get approved in the United States, uh, in the not too distant future. Cause it seems like, um, uh, maybe it's headed that way. But right now, as of this moment, to the best of my knowledge, it is not. So that is Lassilosid. Uh, maybe I might be pronouncing that wrong. I'm sorry. Um, or like Bovatech, I think is the, uh, trade name, the more common trade name. And then I'm going to get up on my soapbox and probably going to make some people angry because I'm going to talk about Toltrazril. Um, and I don't recommend anyone in the United States uses Toltrazril ever for anything. Toltrazril is illegal in the United States. Um, Toltrazril's mechanism of action... Let me see... Toltrazoril, um, technically in the United States is, um, like the only thing that is legal in the United States, um, that is in this family of products is a product with a trade name is Marquee, um, and the drug name is Ponazoril, um, which is available in the United States and it's super expensive and it is available for the treatment of horses with EPM, which is equine protozoal myelitis. Um, and that is a protozoan that gets in the brain and nervous system of horses and causes all kinds of problems. So this is a drug that is made to treat that. Uh, I can't, I think Toltrazoril is a metabolite of Ponazoril. So when the body gets Ponazoril, it breaks it down to Toltrazoril. And Toltrazoril is um, Baycox um, in, I believe, and I believe it's available to be used in most of the rest of the world, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, I think. Um, if you're from Canada, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but the FDA has not approved it for food producing species in the United States. And for that reason, I will not use it or recommend its use in, uh, my clients' animals. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't think you should have it. Um, be couple excuse me, a couple reasons why. Um, one is because it's illegal. Um, I, there's no legal way to get that drug in the United States. Um, the FDA has not approved it. Um, I like my license because that is how I can pay my mortgage and buy groceries. Uh, so I, uh, would like to keep my license and I will not ever <laughs> recommend or purchase or condone the use of illegal drugs, um, uh, in my patients. So there's that. Um, yeah, the FDA can be kind of like, can seem kind of frustrating where we're like, this is, you know, the, um, this, the rest of the world has this. Why don't we is kind of the short, uh, short statement there. Well, this is a weird intersection. Um, I understand. Uh, but the FDA also is like kind of considered the global gold standard for safety of 
uh, drugs and pharmaceuticals and vaccines and all of these things. And if they're FDA approved, like you're probably in pretty good shape. Um, so until if and when that is FDA approved, then I will uh, regroup on that. But right now it's not, so I don't uh, want to use it. And also when you're using it in the United States, you are getting it from illegal sources, which just uh, like how do you, they're not regulated. They are not like legit. Um, I think Baycox is a Bayer product. So Bayer is like a giant historical um, like, well-established pharmaceutical company that has to meet all of these like multinational governmental regulations for the stuff it produces and they have to put what they say they're putting in the bottle has to be in the bottle um racehorsemeds.com is you know they can just be putting like sugar paste in those tubes for all we know um, and I like, so then you're, you're, or they could be putting something completely different and potentially dangerous to your animals in the, those tubes. So it's a no for me. Um, which is unfortunate actually, because when you look up the mechanism of action of this, the like ponazaril or toltrazaril, um, it's very specific for, um, coccidia. Um, it wouldn't have a lot of effect on the other organisms, in the uh, animal system, so it's like mm, bummer um, that we uh, that we don't get it right now. But having said that, it also recently came to my attention that uh, probably one of the reasons why this isn't approved in the United States right now is that there's a few papers out there that are um, concerning for an increased. Uh, Incidence of adenocarcinoma in rats that have uh, been administered toltrazoril. So, I mean, it, there's potential. And, and, I mean, yeah, rats, like, are sometimes little cancer factories. Um, but if you're seeing an increased incidence of adenocarcinoma in, like, and that's, like, statistically significant in a short period of time, like a rat lifespan is, what, three to four years, um, and you're, you're able to, like quantify that with biostats and say yes this is statistically significant and then you start giving it to ruminants which have a longer lifespan like I don't know I'm a little worried that you're gonna see more of that um so yeah right now it's a no for me um I would like it to be a no for all of my clients um and uh, if you, there, it's out there and it's frustrating and um, it comes up for discussion in groups, in small ruminant vet groups that I'm in. And when people find out that their producers have given it or whatever, there's like ridiculous meat and milk withholding time. So if you give this um, without... Well, even if you if your vet was like, yeah, let's give it, um, you cannot use any food produced from that animal. It's like at least six months, um, if I recall correctly. There's ridiculous uh, meat and milk withholding times, and honestly, that's probably because of the cancer thing too, guys. Like if you're then if you're potentially having. Uh, something that's potentially carcinogenic excreted in meat or milk um, that humans are then going to be consuming, then, like, that's a big old problem, too. So, toltrazoril, it's a no for me. Um, and maybe I just made people annoyed, and I probably made people annoyed being, like, you got to not, like, not pack all your goat kids together, and you got to keep them nice and clean and dry because you have to shovel more. Um, 
these are these are the things we have to deal with because we keep livestock. It is work. Um, yeah. So that's my soapbox about that. Sorry. Um, I think I'm going to have a quick little mini episode about a couple other enteric protozoans um, that sometimes you can see on. Uh, fecals in particular that I get questions about and have discussions about with other vets Um, and I'll just have a quick little mini episode about that because I'm not talking about coccidia anymore Um, so I think as far as that goes about coccidia I think I pretty much covered it Uh, if you have questions or comments or whatever and you want to chat with me about it you can find me on the internet and otherwise that's going to do it for the moment and I will talk to you guys next time Meh. <laughs>